Good morning. We are glad that you are here this morning as we wrap up our uh, sermon series called Inconvenient. That's the last time you're going to see that bumper video, and now we're going to get ready to move on. And I, I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a little sad about that. It's not the last time you're going to hear me the word, use the word inconvenient, though. I believe that God wants to continue to inconvenience us because he's trying to answer your prayer. And as he brings you to a place in your life where you've got to decide, do I do what's comfortable? Do I do what's convenient? Do I do what's uncomfortable? Do I do what's inconvenient? I believe that when we do what God wants us to do, it's going to stretch us. But it's going to lead us into the answer for our, to our prayers and also into a closer relationship with Him. And so this morning, um, we, are, we are summing that up. And then uh, at the end of the message, I want to invite you into what's referred to as a litany. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this right here, okay? Let me share this with you. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> you came in here to hear from the Lord. Choose to believe that God is going to speak to you. And this is a message for you, Okay? Um, and this is what we're talking about. Poor. Poor is inconvenient. I don't like being poor. I don't know about you, but if I think about what it is that's inconvenient in my life or in the world today, poor is inconvenient. Now, how on earth are you going to define poor? Are you going to define poor like, well, uh, I can't afford an iPhone, but I can get, you know, a Galaxy. Or are you going to define it, well, I can't afford a Galaxy, I'm going to get an iPhone. I mean, is, is, that, is that how you wrestle with poor? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe poor is, hey, um, we, we're renting a house, we can't buy a house. Maybe, maybe that's poor. Um, maybe poor is, um, we can go to the movie on Tuesday night when it's the cheap rate, but we can't go on Friday night when it's like, you know, $50 a person to go to this thinking movie anymore. Hello. Um, what is poor for you? Because I do believe that in some degree that poor is relative. To be honest with you, um, we can say that our definition of poor is Rwanda. We can say that. that, that we're going to take our, our picture of poor from either um, the country India or we're going to take it from someplace like Rwanda. We're going to say that's poor. Anything else isn't poor. And to some degree, you're absolutely true. But let's just, can we just be honest? We don't live in those cultures. And so poor can be something else. You can be in here going, well, you know, my house doesn't have central air in it. Then I'm poor. And, and in, in our culture, we would say, yeah, that's probably true. And your grandparents would say, what are you talking about? Poor is you don't have air conditioner. Come on, we used to open the windows. That was air conditioning back in the day. Moved to western Oklahoma. And I got introduced something called a water cooler. You know what a water cooler is? Not the kind you walk up to and get a drink of water, okay? Or maybe it's an air cooler. But now it's a water cooler. But anyway, they put this machine, this thing in front of their windows and they run a hose to it and it sprinkles water in there and there's a fan behind it that blows the water up onto this piece of cloth that hangs down and as it blows the air into the house, it cools the air off a little bit and moisturizes it at the same time. And it's like, okay, okay? So I'm introduced to different ways of solving different problems, but, but you, you gotta come to terms and say, hey, what is poor? For us... Uh, poor, uh, it, often, uh, it awesome, uh, often felt, like we, uh, felt like we were poor. If I get my words together today, um, we raised five children. My wife and I had five children. We raised them up. It, if somebody was always needing shoes. Somebody was always needing pants. Somebody was always needing this. We were always in need of one more car. We were always in need of more gas. We were always, we were always saying, how can we do this? How can we do this? How can we do this? 
And so we were saying, hey, you know what? But here's the deal. Even when we felt like we didn't have an extra dime, we still found ways to have fun. We still went outside. We still went fishing. We still played outside. Um, sometimes I would take on extra jobs, and I would find a way to make a little tiny bit of extra money. Um, sometimes um, people would step into our lives and provide beef for us or something like that. It's amazing, but there are times that all of us feel like, well, we're poor. Are you poor? Well, honestly, Pastor Joe, I'm not really poor, depending on how you define it. But at the same time, we all usually, usually define it by looking up the ladder at somebody that's got a ton more. Have you ever seen Tom Brady's house? Oh, my word, I got a you know, snapshot of it from up in a helicopter, probably at like, you know, 10,000 feet. And it's like, it's the size of like um, Liechtenstein. You know, it's like a whole nation down there. And it's like, oh, my word. I don't even know how big it is, but it's huge. And so, yeah, if we want to compare ourselves to, you know, um, the greatest quarterback of all time, yes, we're poor. Sorry, I had to slip that in there a little bit. But um, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. It's okay. Um, But we can define that way. But when we look at it, we stop and we say that, let's just be honest and let's just agree that today, poor is relative to you and I and our particular surroundings. We're not going to compare it to a third world country somewhere. We're going to compare it to central Kentucky. We're going to say, am I poor? Because I want to talk about poor today. Because I'm going to tell you right now, being poor is inconvenient. It is. It's inconvenient. I don't like it. You don't like it. I don't meet people that like it. And yet, the scripture that I want to share with you is from Psalm 126, and I love this story. And I want to launch this this sermon, this last one. I want to launch this last one about the inconvenience of being poor from Psalm 126. So if you want to open up one of these, if you brought one with you, I kind of warned you last week, I was going to start using something like this, okay? It doesn't have a digital anything to it. Now, listen, I'm not here to beat you over the head. It's going to show up up there. You know it will every week, okay? It's going to be there. Uh, You might pull out your cell phone, You might be, you know, having it on your cell phone. I'm okay with that. But when you're not here, I would encourage you to get into this so that this can get into you. Because if you're not getting this in you, you're starving to death spiritually. And Sunday morning is not where the only place you're supposed to eat spiritually. I want to encourage you in that, okay? And that's why I'm just taking it by myself. If I leave the house and go to the coffee shop, I grab my Bible now. I want to be in something that has pages. I told you, I like the smell of paper. It's great. I love it. You know, I can color on it and things like that, and it's great. But let's, let's look at Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. When was the last time you felt like it was okay to dream and to believe that something really good could happen in your life? When was the last time you dared to dream? Because the psalmist says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with song, excuse me, filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. We were so excited and so many good things were happening and amazing things were going on that the people outside the walls were looking in going, wow, God is doing great things for them. And then we admit that the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. That word Negev means in the desert. 
Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with the songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. And that, that's, that's important for us right there, okay? And so we see this picture, and it's a picture of ascents. A S or A C A A. A-C-S-E-N-T. There you go. It's spelling, you know, it's one of those things, okay? I'm 58. I don't have to be able to spell anymore. I have a computer. All right, it says red line. You didn't spell that right. Um, ascent. What that means is these are the songs we sing when we go to church. These are the songs. This, this, this writer is saying, man, when we get in the minivan and we go to temple, I make all the kids, okay, everybody, when we were captives, we were like, and we, everybody sing, sing, you know. These are the songs they sing on their way to temple. This is what they sing when they come in and they want to approach the throne of God. And they're like, God, we believe you. But this particular psalm has a, a, a particular reference to it. And I want to encourage you in this reference. Because they're singing about God and what God is. Man, we were captives and then you brought us back. There were only so many times that Israel was captive and then got brought back. This is a reference. When it says that, when the Lord brought the captives to Zion, we were like men who dream. We were allowed by God to dream again. This is, believe it or not, an answer to what I believe is the single most abused scripture in America today, and that is Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14a. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Listen to me. This is the answer to that. This is what they wrote after God fulfilled that prophecy that I will bring you back. I know the plans, plans that I have for you, Israel. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Israel. Plans to give you hope and a future, Israel. Remember that Jeremiah 29, 11 scripture and following, that's in the middle of a curse. They got hijacked to Babylon. The country did. The best of the best. And they got slammed and put down right in Babylon. The nation did. And they were stuck there. And God came against them and said, listen, Israel, you have walked away from me. You have ignored my laws. You have not been faithful to me. You've been a harlot to me. And I'm telling you right now, you might as well find husbands for your daughters and, and uh, wives for your, husband, or your sons because you are not leaving Babylon. You might as well buy houses and pray for the land. That's what it says. Pray for the land that they become prosperous because you're staying right here. You are not going back to Israel for 70 years. That's 30 years more than Moses wandered in the desert. You are going to be in a foreign nation, subject to a foreign nation for 70 years, God said through Jeremiah. But your children are going to go back because I know the plans that I have for them, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper them and not to harm them. And this, this psalm right here, that's the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's a done deal. That prophecy was for a nation, not for individuals. And yet we take that and we hold on to it and we say, no, this is the deal. Now listen to me. This is the Word of God. And I believe that if you're having your quiet time with God and you're going through a particular struggle, and you're reading along, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, look how God treated Israel. He loved them. He had a plan for them. I think it's okay for you to understand the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you. I'm preparing for you. I have a plan for you. But you can't take this scripture from Jeremiah 29 and go, God, if you don't do that, you're not God because you said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans are no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. 
That is bad, bad, bad understanding of who God is. We have to stop approaching God like God is groveling after us. This is God Almighty. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the king of the universe. He lets us call him Abba, Father, Daddy. But when we come into his throne room, we come into the throne room of God. And even Isaiah, oh, I'm going to sneeze. In the middle of this, I'm going to sneeze. I can feel it. Um, as Isaiah came in to see God in Isaiah chapter 6, even he just had a dream and he fell over. John, when he had a vision, fell over. And they were children of God. When we come into the presence of God, we should recognize that while he adores us and longs for us, he does not grovel after us. But he invites us, the scripture says, you will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. We should be seeking after God with all of our heart. And that's what's going on here. In 603 B.C., while they were in exile, Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah 29. In approximately 532, when they had been freed and gone back to Israel, this psalmist wrote this particular psalm. And so we see prophecy spoken, and then we see prophecy fulfilled. There's two things in there I just want to hang out in front of you right now. Do you want to be restored so you can dream again? Do you want to be restored so you can dream again? So that things can be there? Do you want God to restore your fortunes? Because that was their prayer. Restore to us our fortunes, O God. Take us back to our, here it comes, economic condition take us back to where we were before the empire came in and hauled us off make us who we once used to be make us who we dreamed about being do you have a dream for your economic situation this scripture i want to share with you right here and the thoughts that i want to share with you i want to share with you from god and i'm going to make some general statements and they may or may not apply to your specific situation but i want to give you permission you can come in and see me this week and sit down and say hey i want to talk to you about what you said on sunday morning i want to talk to you about the inconvenience of being poor and while you know that i'm not a health wealth and prosperity preacher i'm not going to stand up here and say god wants to give you everything you ever desire for because psalm 37 first four verse four which is where that comes from doesn't start with god's going to give you the desire of your heart it starts with delight yourself in the Lord. But see how we so many times skip over our part. God's just going to give me. He's just going to give me. He's just going to give me. No, 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 no. It said delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desire of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek the Lord while he can be found. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Where's our part? I think God has every right to say, where's our part? Let me tell you this. Number one, God doesn't want you to be poor. God doesn't want you to be poor. And I'm not saying that because I'm a father, and he's my father. And you say, well, I know that theology's right because I'm a father, and I don't want my children to be poor. Listen, that, that's bad theology. When your theology is, I'm a father, and so I treat my kids this way, therefore I understand God, you have a bad understanding of God because you're a human being. You're a broken human being who's a father. You can only understand being a father as a broken human being. You cannot understand being a father as God. You cannot understand the love of God for his children. You can understand your love for your children 
But I doubt you're ready to sacrifice one of your children for the other children. And that's where God was. See? That's God. But God doesn't want you to be poor. No father wishes that for his children, for sure. But God doesn't want us just to be all materialistic either. And so let me sum up for, for, poor for you in a very general way. Poor can be summed up like this. It's a consequence of our choices. Poor can, de can be defined or summed up as a consequence of my choices. I overspent my money. I overbought. I bought on credit. I've got too many credit cards. Um, I didn't handle my money correctly. I gave it all away. Um, bad spending habits. Um, uh, it can be a mentality where you say, it's only going to get this good and it's not going to get any better. In the, in the mental health industry, that's referred to as learned helplessness. This is what I'm settling for. It's not going to get any better, so I might as well just buckle up and, just, and, and this is just where it's going to be. But sometimes we've got to understand that our economic condition, our poor economic condition, is a direct result of our poor choices. Either bad choices to spend money or bad choices not to do something about our economic condition. Okay? I want, to, I want both of those, because we've got this victim mentality that's everybody's fault, and this is what I was born into, or this is all I've got, or you know, I didn't get the break that somebody else got. Listen, make your break. That, that'll tweet. That could go on a t-shirt. I'm just, welcome to the vineyard, make your break. Make your break. You want things to be different? Make your break. You want a break? God, give me a break. Make your break because we've got this idea that things just can't be better and think and you know this is this is all there is and it's like one of the consequences is we don't believe that it can be better or here here that we only man i'm working pastor joe you don't understand i'm working 40 hours a week 40 hours a week is not biblical it is not in here as a matter of fact i will go so far as to say 40 hours a week is anti-biblical you can hold me accountable for that because the scripture says six days shall you work and on the seventh day you shall rest. Six days of work, according to the Bible, would be 10-hour days. That's 50 hours a week. Excuse me, 60. I can't do math either. 60 hours a week. That's six. Are you willing to work 60 hours a week to get out of your economic condition? No. Okay, that's your choice. You see what I'm saying? Poor is a result of poor choices. You just said no. Well, you don't understand. If i got to work 42 hours this week, man, I'm out there slaving. You haven't even started to work yet. Mm -mm. People that make it very rarely work 40 hours a week. People that get ahead very rarely work 40 hours a week. People that get ahead, people that we see that we would like to be, are usually working 50 to 60 hours a week. And they're not complaining. They're like, yeah, I'm doing this thing. They're not workaholics. We only define workaholic based upon a 40-hour work week, which is a total construct out of our heads. Now, I'm not complaining. It's just been years since I've worked 40 hours, unless it's me taking a day off here and there. And I do have that privilege. But here's the deal. 
Sometimes our consequence is we don't want another job. We don't want to get another job. We don't want to work another job. I remember in, in a conversation with one of my children, or maybe two of my children, we were just discussing the idea of getting work. And, and when we discuss a job that pays your way, and, and the bottom line is that you're not supposed to get one 40-hour-a-week job. If I was having the conversation with you I had with some of my children, I would sit down at the table and say, your obligation is to work however many hours it takes to keep a roof over your head and food in your belly. That's your job. That's what it takes. Now, if you can go to college and get a college degree and so you can work smarter instead of harder, yes, that's great. But it's not everybody else's responsibility to take care of and provide for me. And I have to be aware of that. I've got to be willing to own that responsibility to provide for my family. For a long time when I was in this, this community as a bivocational pastor, I was doing 30 hours a week over here and I was doing 45 hours a week over here because I was preaching part the time, I was doing the youth group part the time, I was leading a small group part the time with my spouse, and then I was driving all over the state as well, for six years, I was bivocational before we planted this vineyard. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. Sometimes you just have to do what has to be done. Poor can be summed up as a discipline due to disobedience. It really can. Poor can be determined to be a discipline due to disobedience. God may be actually using your economic situation to spank your bottom. You don't think he is? Look what he said through Malachi. You're under a curse, he says. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. That's what God says. He says, you are robbing me. It says, um, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. That there may be, excuse me, food in my house. Test me in this. Only one of two places in the Bible that God says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines will not drop their, or cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And I love this next part. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And once again, now Malachi is saying, it's the same thing that the writer of the book of Psalms says in Psalm 126 nations will look in and, and call you blessed so i'm looking at this and i'm saying wow god do i need a spanking Is, am, am i robbing god that's always something that's been important to my wife and i is to say hey are we giving god are we tithing back to say thank you are we coming in and making a sacrifice to god and saying thank you now listen i'm not just talking about money i'm talking about your life when we raised our kids we raised our children when we raised our children we raised them to love jesus because we wanted them to go out into the world and love jesus we did that i'm talking about our careers what about our time for 26 years, yeah, three, 26 years now, yeah, this will be 26 years for me in full-time ministry. And I remember there was a time when I was a couple, 10 years in or something like that, and I was going, okay, 70 years, I've been doing this for 10 years, that's more than a tithe. I actually was talking to God and saying, okay, Lord, I've given you a tenth of my life in full-time ministry, can I go out and try to make my mark on the world financially? Can I go out there and do what other people said, it's like God are, are doing, can I go out there and try to stir the pot and see what I can pull out of it? God said, Joe, no. 
And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're going to do this till you die. It's like, am I going to do, am I going to die today, Lord? And he's like, no, you're going to do this till you die because this is what I created you to do. And I'm going to be honest with you. I said, thank you, Lord. I am not poor. I said, thank you, Lord, and I will continue to do this. And I'm good with that. I like this calling, but I didn't want to cheat God out of the days of my life as much as I didn't want to cheat him out of my money. And the fact of the matter is, even when I was working in a plant, I still was witnessing to people. I still was talking to them about Jesus and inviting them to church. So it's not like I'm going to stop doing that. But full-time ministry, it's like, God, am I, am I being obedient enough to give you that whole tithe? Am I, am, I, am I being responsible with all of my life, but certainly with my money? I don't want to be poor, God. I don't want to struggle. And there were days that it felt like it, but God continued to bring people into our lives. And I say, Jesus brought that forward and reminded us in Matthew 23 when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees. And he's kind of getting on their case a little bit. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And, and, and all he's saying, all I'm, I share that with you because some people will say to me, well, Jesus didn't say anything about tithing. He just did. And it's written in red. He said, remember the former, don't forget the latter. You better keep tithing, but don't forget to be generous. And when he used that come in and deal, what he's saying is, you take the littlest seed from your garden, and you put it all on your table, and you take your blade, and you move over one-tenth. You know, it's like, you just made biscuits, because you're going to have biscuits and gravy, and you made ten biscuits, and you take one biscuit, and you move it over. But you won't give that one biscuit to the poor guy you won't feed the hungry but you're making sure god gets his 10 percent. you get to keep 90 percent, and, and and that's what jesus is saying he says we got to change that around yes we've got to tithe but it is important for us to remember to live generously we have to live generously so it can be summed up being poor can be summed up as a consequence it can be a discipline for god and the last thing I want to share with you is that it can be a launching pad. Not the last thing I want to share with you about summing up poor. It can be a launching pad to drive you forward. You can be, finally decide, you know what? Nobody in my family went to college. The economic situation that I'm living or I was raised in is not the economic situation that I'm going to raise my family in. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with determining that you are going to make your break. That you're going to go to college, that you're going to start a business, that you're going to work your tail off, and you're not going to be sorry for what it accomplishes in your life. But you're still going to live generously with the people that are around you. You see, sometimes when something hurts bad enough, we change the circumstances and move on. 
I know in my household, about the time somebody in my household had started his own business and he was going 100 miles an hour, I'm not talking about me, I'm, I'm talking about my brother, but I'm not going to say that because he, sometimes he listens to these and then he calls me back and says, how come I'm the sermon example? And it's like, we have a big laugh about it. But I mean, that kid is amazing. He's a kid, he's two years younger than me. He, he's absolutely amazing. He's smart. I mean, he's active, he's proactive. He works 70 and 80 hours a week, but he's always involved with his kids and his wife and he's doing things and he's incredibly generous and he's getting ahead. And I remember when he came home one time just for a visit, Walked in the house and said something about how business was going, and, and he was told, you kind of forgot who you are, didn't you? Kind of getting too big for your britches. Forgot that you belong on this side of the railroad tracks with us, don't, didn't you? Why would you say that to your children? Why would you say that? Why wouldn't you celebrate them getting ahead? Why wouldn't you do that? Because you feel bad about you. Because you're still waiting for your big break, and you're not willing to make your break. See? And that's sad, but it was a launching pad for him. Not because he's greedy. He likes to work, and he likes to vacation with his family. You know, Paul told the church in Thessalonica, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who's unwilling to work should not eat. Sooner or later, you get hungry enough, and you'll decide it's time to work. <laughs> you'll do the job. It'll be okay, and it'll be all right. Matter of fact, Paul says not even to put widows on the bread list unless they're over 60 and have been faithful to the church. Wow, that makes a small feed the poor list, doesn't it? Gives us a different idea about what's going on. That's the summation of poor. Number one, God doesn't want you to be poor. Number two, poor is a situation, not a destination. That's not God's original plan for you. Poor is a situation, not a destination. Why would you camp there? Why would you pop up a tent and camp at poor? Why would you say it doesn't get any better? Why would you say, I refuse to believe that things can be different in my life? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you say, I know it can be better. Yes, I can get out there. I can do it. And please, don't start giving me excuses about your feelings. <laughs> I'm talking about doing the doing. Don't be afraid to get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. Don't be afraid to go out and do what makes you uncomfortable because it will do amazing things in your life. Jesus said he came that we, we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. And I'm still doing a study on that word parisos from the Greek. It means vehemently, abundantly more than those around you is what it means in the Greek. And again, I'm not a health and wealth prosperity preacher, but at the same time, it's like God didn't come, so it's like, I'm going to make a whole bunch of people and I'm going to make them miserable by making them poor. That's not what God did. He said, go into the garden, be fruitful and multiply. Have a party with each other. And by the way, just pick the fruit off the tree and eat it. Just walk around and do that. Didn't even have to work until they messed it all up because it was inconvenient just to trust it. And so they listened to that old serpent, that one that said, you shouldn't have to work more than 40 hours a week. That's nonsense. That's the devil. Things are never going to get better for you. That's the devil. Oh, they got it for free. I promise you that's the devil. Wonderful things can happen in your life. But a lot of times God, according to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, has given us the energy and the life to make our break instead of looking for it. I've come to understand that God wants us to understand that we are more than the sum of our possessions. 
and that we're challenged to be generous, to be careful. Mark 4 says, consider carefully what you hear, Jesus said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. If we're not willing to get out there and do something about it, why should God give us more? If all we're doing is putting ourselves in the hole and then screaming louder, why should God give us more? If we can't be responsible with the life that God has given us, I'm asking you, why should God give us more? See? I don't think God hates us. I just think it's okay for us to look at the Scripture and say, why am I in the situation I'm in? And I begin with the fact that my Father in Heaven does not want me to be poor. But then I've got to look at what is the, the summation of poor. And I have to be willing to look at me and say, am I doing this? Am I getting my behind spanked because I'm either holding out on God or I'm actually sinning? If I'm actually sinning, and God said, fine, I'll wait on you, stay there, but I'm not chasing you. When you're ready to start doing things my way, I'm going to open up some new avenues for you. God wants us to deal generously. When we look at poor as a situation, not a destination, Jesus said in Luke 16, and I know this goes against a lot of teaching that you might learn and, 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 and hear, but he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so when it's gone you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings if god wants us to use worldly wealth to make friends and influence our neighbors that can only happen if we have worldly wealth so therefore he expects us to go out and be responsible and to be shrewd at one point the scripture says more shrewd than this world and more careful and the last thing is and i'm going to share this with you because i know i've said this over and over as my children were leaving the home you can't comprehend how generous our Father in Heaven is, but you don't want to find out how stingy He can be. You can't comprehend going out and getting so much work that you can't do it all, or catching so many fish that you can't put them in the boat, or getting a job that's paying you so much that you don't understand it. But you don't want to forget God and need him to get stingy to bring you back to him. Or as one writer said, God, don't let me be so rich that I forget you. But please don't let me be so poor that I have to steal bread to feed my family. Where's the balance? Where's the balance? You can't comprehend how generous our Father in heaven is. But sometimes we're finding out how stingy he can be because he's trying to catch our attention to give us a life we never dreamed of, a Parisos life, an abundant life. Malachi 3 says, Bring in the whole tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Not give you a little bit. You live tithing generously to the people around you, seeing who you can pay for, who you can get coffee for, who you can get lunch for, who you can buy a tank of gas for, whose grass you can mow, whose kids you can watch. Add it all up. When you say, God, how do I take the kingdom of God into the people around me? Watch God pour the kingdom of God back into your life based on this promise. The one thing that we can understand is God has always expected for us to make sacrifices to him because he's God. And he said in Luke 6, 6, wrapping this up, give and it will be given to you. 
Luke 6, this is written in red. This is Jesus to you. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. As often as you say, I will give when I, then God says, great, then I'll wait. And I'll give to you when you, see? Because God said, I'm going to give this to you, I expect this from you. And it's our life. It's our language, it's our finances, it's our children, it's our career, it's our home, it's about everything. So what should I do, Pastor Joe? Let me go down through this. Start with God. Tired of being poor? Start with God. Number one, are you tithing? Number two, are you living, are you sinning against God? Not by not tithing, but are you sinning against God? Lying, cheating, stealing, getting drunk, sleeping around, Are you sinning against God? Because if you are, then he has every right to spank your bottom, and and he may do it by keeping you in an economic burden. Start there. The wealth that we have in our money, our family, and our time should be invested in the kingdom if we really believe that God forgave us. We should recognize that. Number two, make a plan to stop spending money. Poor people spend money. Wealthy people save money. They don't save millions. They started by saving dimes. And then it continued to increase as they were faithful. So you start where you can. My second and foremost scene in a movie about a man named Arthur Schindler was when we got to the end of the movie and he pulls this ring off of his finger and he said, with this I could have saved. And he listed a number of people. And then he turned around and he looked at his car and he said, with that car I could have saved. Because he recognized his call to invest in people. Not in things and houses and whatnot. And lastly, choose to live generously and look for opportunities. Look for them. When you wake up in the morning, God, who can I bless today? Because God blesses the person that gives. What are the gifts that God has given you? musically inclined you love little children you're a great teacher you've got a good business head you know something about tech stuff back there you love to sit and talk with people use that to bring the kingdom of God to bear on people's lives talk to them about Jesus that will make me uncomfortable I got it it's inconvenient I understand it it will say that forever on my wrist inconvenient on that little bracelet Just a word that I see every morning when I wake up. Joe, today, God is going to make you inconvenient. Do what he says anyway. Do what he says. These people are up here because you may be going through an economic trial. You may feel like you don't know how to get out of it yet. And you just want prayer for how thin your finances are, how stretched you feel, how abandoned by God you feel. You're saying, I need it, Pastor Joe. They're here. They want to pray for you. When this is over, we're going to do something special to wrap this whole sermon series up, okay? Because we want you restored. We want God to restore you. We want Him to change your life. We want it to be amazing for you. But we want God to talk to you about it. So we're going to go into this song, and these people are up here to pray for you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. 
Begin to move in people's hearts and break down barriers. And God, make them uncomfortable. I already did, huh? Okay, make what you're asking of them inconvenient. I just ask and pray, God, that you would bring healing. Let us dream dreams again. Restore to us those dreams, God. Restore to us our, our fortunes. Restore to us, God, because we're faithful with you. In Jesus' name.